Welcome to Pathways to Hope and Healing, a podcast dedicated to sharing information, ideas, and resources about domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, and elder abuse. The topics discussed in this podcast, including survivor stories, supportive services, and domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, and elder abuse, can be difficult, and we urge you to listen with care. Our hosts are not licensed counselors or mental health professionals, but licensed counselors are available at the Nampa Family Justice Center. If you or someone you care about have experienced domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, or elder abuse, please call the Nampa Family Justice Center at 208-475-5700 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also find more resources in the description of this podcast. Well, welcome again to another episode of Pathways to Hope and Healing. I'm Corey Michaels, along with the president of the Family Justice Center Foundation of Idaho and my dear friend, and you can just call her Superwoman, retired Detective Corporal Angela Weeks. Superwoman, I kind of like that. Yeah, well, you you are. Every time we talk, you're you're running here to train this group. You're running there to train this other group, and you're looking at expanding everything and getting legislative changes. And and I'm retired. <laughs> oh yeah, I can tell. Yeah. Well, it's good to be with you again today. I'm I'm super glad to. Um, be doing this podcast. Um, I think the topic we're going to talk about today is something that not a lot of people put a lot of attention and thought into Um, when we are talking about elder abuse and what's happening uh, to our elders in our community. I think sometimes there's a thought that, oh, you know, yeah, there's some of that that might happen in a nursing home and somebody else will take care of that. That's somebody else's issue. But I think a lot of people really don't understand what elder abuse is and um, what is happening in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, with our family members. And we're so fortunate today uh, that we have Lana Bacola with us. Uh, Lana, I met her when she was working as a child protective worker, and I was working at the police department, and she was working at the Family Justice Center. But her role has really evolved and changed, and I laugh because she understands the I'm retired but not really kind of thing. (laughs) Because she retired. But she came back. And Lana, I I know that you started in child protection, but your focus and your passion really did change in the work that we're doing at the Justice Center. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I'm not quite sure it changed because I've always been involved and had an affinity for older people. I remember as a kid looking out my window one Thanksgiving day and I saw an old man walking down the street and I felt so bad. I felt really bad, and I projected loneliness on him. Maybe he was just walking down the street to his family's house for dinner. I don't know. But that always stuck in my mind. I always wanted to help people. I wanted to be a nurse until I realized I didn't like blood, and I didn't like to see blood. <laughs> that could be a problem. <laughs> so uh, child protection was one of the avenues that I went down, and I, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed that experience. And joy isn't the right word, but... I got a lot of gratification from right. helping children. Mm-hmm. And then when the opportunity came up, actually I said I was going to retire. And somebody said, oh, guess what? There's a grant out here for elder abuse. Yeah. And that was my really my first 
passion. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Yeah. And you were working at the Family Justice Center. And so we had had, we were already serving domestic violence victims and child abuse victims, sexual assault victims. Mm -hmm. But we absolutely realized there was a gap in services in our um, elder abuse services. We, we weren't really providing any, but we'd had a few cases come through that had really drawn the attention of the Nampa Police Department. One of our detectives in particular, Detective Carrie Seibel, um, was one of those people that was very passionate in working with uh, the elderly. And I just remember she was one of my detectives and some of the um, her involvement in some of those cases. So um, when the Nampa Family Justice Center applied for an abuse in later life grant um, and there was an opportunity for Lana to be involved. Um, but Lana, do you think very many people in our community really have an understanding of I don't what's think- happening with the abuse? Uh, elderly in our community? I don't think they have a clue. Yeah. A lot of people don't. Yeah. I remember carrying a a sign in the back of my car and going through Dutch Brothers and the kid that was waiting on me saw the sign in the back about elder abuse and he says, well, there's no elder abuse, is there? And he genuinely meant that. Right. Right. And the reality is, is one, conservatively speaking, one in 10 seniors is being abused as we speak in our own community. Yeah. I don't think people understand what it is, what that abuse is, though. I think I think people might expect it a little bit, like I said earlier, from nurse, you know, in a nursing mm-hmm. home situation. But where is elder abuse most commonly seen? In their own home with their own family members. Yeah. And I don't remember the percentages, but the the likelihood of a woman, an elderly woman living in her home with a son or a daughter who's relying on that woman for income or doesn't work. Uh, is probably the most likely uh, victim and and perpetrator. And a lot of people don't realize that. You know, as people get older, they get more isolated. They rely on their families more. And sometimes those family members are not in good places themselves. And um, it just leaves the elder open for abuse. Yeah. And that, that abuse comes in a lot of different forms. Um, you're alluding a little bit almost to some of the financial exploitation that we can see. But that we also know there's physical and the neglect. Let's talk a little bit about the financial exploitation and how how that can look with these uh, the elderly. So with the elderly, um, they're prime victims because they usually a lot of times have saved money, and if they haven't saved money, they're still can be exploited because they get a social security check, they maybe get a pension, and um, they're also trafficked. People don't really think about that, but. Uh, people are held against their will in their own homes for their social security check. Yeah. And uh, it's unthinkable, but that's, that's what happens. But with family members, you know, whether it's um, having access to a debit card, a credit card, the family, the elder loves their children, loves their family. They're, they don't want to be estranged from them. So they do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. And they don't want their son or daughter to get in trouble. So they cover for them and go through anguish. And the problem is a lot of people, it's hard to comprehend that financial exploitation would lead to horrible consequences for the elder. Like, for instance, they're 300 times more likely to die prematurely than someone who hasn't been financially exploited. And it's hard for us to comprehend, but when you think about somebody at the end of their life, they've saved all this money, that's all they're going to have. They can't go out and work and make more money. That's that's it. Mm-hmm. And so for them, 
that's like the end of their life. I mean, what else can they do? Yeah. And so it, it has dire consequences. Not only that, but with financial abuse, often there's other abuse connected with it. So it's whether it's emotional or physical. Absolutely. We see that with so many of the crimes that we investigate, the co-occurring nature. Um, And we know that, you know, um, there is abuse in later life if they've been involved in a domestic violence situation when they're earlier. We know that that just doesn't go away Mm -hmm. when they um, become elderly. Um, And Unfortunately, that can actually isolate them more um, mm-hmm. and put them more at risk because, you know, if both parties are now retired, living yeah. at home, um, there might be more of a frequency because they're around each other more. Exactly. And there's no, and the other family members may have not been aware of all this abuse over those years. I'm thinking of a particular case that's before us right now and 60-some years of abuse. And so this particular woman who's being controlled by her husband, even with interventions and and things like that, she's still not willing, not able to break that cycle. And it's been her normal for so long, so much of her life. Yeah. And so the, so the children are estranged because they also were abused. And so they of course don't want to get back into that situation. So other family members want it to go back to normal. And so in this situation, everybody wants it to go back to normal. So they pretend like everything's okay, or they estrange themselves and she's springs right back into the situation. Yeah. And it's very sad. Yeah. It's hard to believe, you know, we, we often do talk about child abuse in our society. I mean, not near right. as much as we probably should, yes. but we, we do talk about parents abusing their children, but Lana, it can happen the other way around, where these children are now the caregivers that are all the time physically. Yeah, you, I mean, and you see it all the time that are physically abusing or financially exploiting or both, both. emotionally abusing uh, the person who was their caregiver. Well, and I would have to think that in a lot of those cases, they're probably not getting to the doctor's appointments that they should because whoever's doing the abuse doesn't want someone to be able to see this they're not probably getting the medications that they need if they're financial you know so there's all these different things that could be happening that that could be happening as well as that there could be i'm just thinking of, of my own circumstances so i've been taking my mother who's 106 to the doctor for the last 25 years going with her never once did a doctor ask to talk to her alone or they assumed that I had my mother's best interest. I may or may not have, right? but they assumed that. And so in um, cases that I'm thinking of, there's been cases where the, the well-meaning daughter, the daughter that loves her mommy, takes her mom to the doctor and does all the speaking for her mother. And the doctor never suspects that that person is exploiting the mother in yeah. private. Yeah. Because in public, they come across as, oh my gosh, they give up their time, you know, they're, they're caring, they're loving, um, but they're, they're benefiting from this financially. Right, exactly. Maybe they, um, the, the cases that we hear about where they have got their parent to sign over their home, um, to sign over the, um, almost like a guardianship, if you will. I'm trying to think of the, the better so guardian. Way. Yeah. Guardian or the power of attorney, the power of attorney. That's what I was thinking of, um, to, to this 
child who's you know, financially, physically abusing them, neglecting them. So I'll just give you a personal experience. My sister-in-law has dementia. My husband is a co-guardian with her daughter. Um, she She's pretty far along in her disease, but the daughter initially, so there's a period of time when people have dementia, and if you just have a conversation with them, you're not going to know that. And so the daughter took that opportunity to take her to a different attorney than her own attorney and get the powers of attorney changed, do a, uh, a deed, a, um, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but a, a deed to transfer the property upon death, beneficiary deed, and um, would tell everybody that she had her mother's best interest. She went to all her doctor's appointments. Well, she now owns her mother's home and her mother's in a facility She's managed to uh, uh, estrange the rest of the family. And uh, it's, it appears to all the professionals, because the professionals do not know the judge, the, the guardian ad litem, the visitor, the court visitor, all of them bought into this daughter that seemingly had her best interest yeah. at heart. So easy to take advantage of them. And, um, and they're so isolated and a lot of times distanced from their family um, because they're, oh, I can't take them in my home. And, you know, maybe mm-hmm. my brother or sister are willing to do that. They're willing right. to step in. And I'm glad that they're there with mom. Um, and, and not obviously not everybody who cares for their um, parent um, is like this. But there are there some red flags that you think we could educate people on when it comes to looking for signs of elder abuse? Well, like I said before, that one of the big signs is if a child, an adult child, is living with a parent, and if that child doesn't have a source of income of their own, and they may have either mental health or substance abuse or some, some other form mm-hmm. of, of dysfunction, and um, they tend to isolate the parent, like... Uh, talking to other family members, they don't feel good. They don't really want to go anywhere, and the, so the child is speaking for the for the parent. And so isolation is the h- huge thing. That's a, a very big thing. That's the number one factor, because people uh, that are elderly by nature, I, I'm finding that out myself. You tend to be, for one thing, your your parents are gone. Your kids are grown up, so you're no, no longer involved with the schools and you're no longer involved in society. Maybe you've retired if you're not volunteering somewhere. And it's gotten to be where uh, people, when they go to the grocery store, they go through the line where they check in themselves. They don't have the opportunity to be out in the community and be connected with the community. The banker, for instance, you know, bankers probably see a lot of stuff that they don't exactly know what to do about or who to talk to about it. Yeah. So isolation, I would say, is the number one factor in uh, keeping keeping elders safe. Yeah. Well, that was and that brings up my my question is if you're say the banker or the person at the store or whatever the case may be, and you think something is occurring who would you who do you contact i mean this isn't someone who is a relative of yours but you see some signs that make you go huh i question what is happening here well there's a few things that can be done i've when i worked at the justice center i had a a banker call me about two or three different people and so we would open up a case and go talk to the person and 
determine exactly what was going on. Sometimes it's not what it appears to be. Other times it is. And and sometimes, unfortunately, it's, you know, scams <clears throat> from from out of the country that you really can't do a lot about. Right. But mm-hmm. oftentimes it's, uh, you know, I'm thinking of a case where a neighbor actually called about her elderly neighbor who had a taxi cab driver that was spending an enormous amount of time at her house. And then we talked to the daughter and the mother was hanging up on the daughter and not, not wanting to talk to her. And so the Nampa family or the Nampa police department was actually involved in that case and, and uh, intervened with that case. Yeah, so, I mean, you can contact the Nampa Family Justice Center for resources okay. for sp- talking with an advocate to kind of get some direction, your local law enforcement agency. But we recognize this is an area um, that whether it's law enforcement, whether it's adult protection, whether it's, um, you know, the prosecutor's office, we need to continually educate and train on this topic. Um, I feel like we've come so far in child abuse investigations and so far in domestic violence and we're moving, you know, miles in sexual assault investigations. But I really feel like elder abuse is lagging behind Um, and I think that there's more that we can be doing in our communities uh, more that we can be doing with um, coordinated responses Uh, Lana actually um, sits on a multidisciplinary team that the Justice Center has been trying to work on to discuss cases but even getting that to the table has been so difficult it's It's been such a challenge um, we've, we've understood these protocols in all these other professions in, or in these other issues, but bringing people together to, to identify elder abuse, to talk yeah. about it, to realize we can have relationships and partnerships and, and, and that we can change this, um, has been, um, gosh, we've been working with the elder, the abuse and later life grant for three six at least six years. oh see every time i do a time frame i'm off <laughs> uh, <laughs> well there's been two and so I, I know that we've hosted some trainings um i know that there has been some movement there um and i know even in the early phases of some of the other work we've done it can seem really slow going um mm. and bringing people um along where we're educating our community um you know, I remember taking some classes just online that were offered and elder abuse that were talking about financial exploitation and abuse and neglect, prescription abuse, um, where they're, you know, um, getting the, the their parents' prescriptions refilled and then using them and not medically caring for their parent. Um, but you, we have to have a willingness to understand that this is an issue in our community. Yes. And I think oftentimes people think it's a family matter. Much like they used to think of domestic violence. Domestic violence, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and that some somebody else should be. That doesn't happen in my family, and somebody else should be dealing with that. So if I yeah. if I were a neighbor and I suspected something, there's of course law enforcement and adult protection. However, a lot of people don't realize that adult protection only investigates vulnerable adult cases. So if somebody happens to be 90 but their mind is intact or they believe it to be intact, then they may not in, even investigate. Yeah. So um, another thing that people can do is develop a friendship with that elder person that lives next door or um, 
somehow reach that person if they if they're familiar with them call a relative if there's a taxi cab driver hanging out yeah. in front of their house all the time mm-hmm. call the daughter call the brother somebody that's connected with them so i would rather somebody that's kind of suspicious of something even if it is a family member sometimes that's hard when you're suspicious of your brother or your sister um, or your cousin and how they're treating their parents but i would rather somebody um call on something that we later found out uh, wasn't the situation, then yeah. let it go on. Because this is this happens so frequently where um, we'll have a, a very extensive abuse situation where it's gotten so bad. And people will make comments like, oh, I, I was kind of suspicious or I saw some weird stuff and I saw something going on and I've been concerned about this for two years. And we hear that after the fact. Yeah. And that's, that's so tough. Um, you know, do some work on your own to kind of get educated and understand what the issues are around elder abuse. I think people would really be surprised if they really understood uh, the, the psychology of elder abuse and, and how frequently and prevalent it is right here, right in front of us, and we don't even recognize it. So if we think about dementia, 50% of people with dementia are abused, period. And so if we know that, you can you can uh, extrapolate the, the population and then figure out this number of people right here, right in our own community are being abused right now. Yeah. And so if you know what to look for or suspect, then, then you'll see it. So Lana, I know we're, we've been talking about identifying financial, um, uh, el- the exploitation. We've talked a little bit about physical abuse, but there are changes that go on just as you become elderly. There are neurobiological changes that go on. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that impacts the elderly? Sure. Well, beginning about in our 40s, we our brain starts to change, and there's a lot of research surrounding that. And so it's not just dementia and memory loss related to those things. Long before that becomes apparent, if it ever does, is changes in our brain to where the person, the elderly person, may not recognize exploitation, even though it's happening, even though it would be apparent to you or I as a younger person. Or even to them when they were younger, they might have exactly. recognized it. Yeah. So when they were 40, they would not be subjected to exploitation. When they're 80, they might trust somebody, inappropriately trust somebody, because there are changes in their brain. So society looks at them and they say, well, they have a good memory, they live on their own, they can drive and all this stuff. So they assume that they can make those financial decisions appropriately. And so they make horrendous decisions because of those neurobiological changes. And so I think it's important to realize, and, and not only that, but I think that when we talk about vulnerability, we automatically go to memory loss. But there's a lot of other kinds of vulnerabilities out there. And it could be can't drive, uh, don't have family around, or these these biological changes that occur in our brains. And that's just something that happens. Well, how often do we see for the phone scams that happen or the internet scams, email scams, uh, that a lot of times it is elderly people that they prey upon and wind up draining their accounts. Absolutely. And people go, well, how could they fall for that? Well, same thing. They, they might not have 
20 years, years ago. ago. Yes. And and probably the saddest thing for me is is that vulnerability is not taken in totality. So looking at the whole picture because there are some tests that are being done by some adult protection agencies in other states mm-hmm. that identify the all the vulnerabilities like whether they speak a second language if English is their second language, whether they have family around, whether they have uh, physical vulnerabilities. So all those things are taken in totality because it changes over time. It's just a, a matter of how life is. Why are you so passionate about this? You know, I'm, I get very emotional, so yeah. hopefully I won't. It's okay. Because nobody else, I mean, I feel like nobody else cares. I mean, they're old. They've had their time in the sun. Because I, I said to my husband, I said, it seems like right now with all the things going on in the world, people care less about the elders. That's just how I'm feeling right now. Right. And so he he explained it to me how he sees it is they 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 don't um, they don't contribute like they did to society as they once did. They don't have a lot of money to donate to political people. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lobbying group. They don't have a voice. Yeah. And so I've had a few personal things in my own family that brought it to light. My sister-in-law was one. And, you know, I have a family member that was um, financially exploiting my mother. And so therefore we have a guardian and a conservator and a trustee and all that stuff. So I've seen it from that end, but I think it's just that people love children. They all social workers when they go into social work. I want to work with children. I love children. Yeah. When you think about children, even though there's abuse, there's hope. I mean, here there's a life that's going to get better. They're going to grow up. They're going to get help. They're going to there's there's a hopeful thing to think about it. But when you think about elderly people. They're becoming more dependent, more isolated, just by nature. Sad. I mean, it's sad to me yeah. that they would end their life towards the end of their life being a productive member of society with someone who's abusing, who's abusing them or taking advantage of them. You know, I think one of the things that for me, when I think about elder abuse, though, that is hopeful is at the beginning of my career, these weren't even conversations we were having. It, yeah, it, they weren't. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, seeing some detectives come along, and and actually, I remember Carrie was on patrol when one of her first cases happened, and and her compassion, um, and her involvement, and her going the extra mile, and the difference that she made. Um, and then when the justice center started addressing issues of elder abuse, and then when you get the opportunity to meet somebody like Lana, who wants to educate, who wants to reach out, who whose mom is 106 years old. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine. Um, <laughs> but you know, the reality is they have done so much for our communities and we can't forget. We can't forget what they've contributed. No. We can't forget that they were the ones who took care of us. And we can't forget that we're going to be there someday. And well, not only that, I th- what I think of is my children are going to be old someday. I don't want want them to be abused. How do you want that to be changed for them at at that point in their lives? How do you want them to be treated and respected and cared for at at that point in their lives? Well, I think society has to change in their thinking. I mean, they're part of a family. 
And yeah. I know families are different than they used to be. They often are far apart and all of that. But those family members are still part of their family. And the way I would like, I would love, I mean, the, the way I dream of a family being is the old people help the littles and then the littles help the older, yeah. you know? I mean, that's how yeah. it should be. Yeah, I totally Yes, it is. Well, if you have any concerns, uh, whether this is a family member, a neighbor, um, someone that at your church, whatever the case may be, if you have any concerns, as Angela and Lana both said, better to be maybe a little wrong mm-hmm. and have it turn out that way than not saying something absolutely, and have this person being abused. And so all of the different ways that you can be able to report, find out more information with the Nampa Family Justice Center, all of that is in the description of the podcast today. Please feel free to use those. And even if it is just reaching out to the Family Justice Center and saying, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm feeling and get some advice. That's what the Nampa Family Justice Center is there for, is to be able to help. And it's going to be the continuing of education, the continuing of the awareness. So there isn't the young man at Dutch Bros or, you know, that is a commonality between so many people and especially younger ones that they would never abuse their grandfather in their mind or their their mother or father. So it's hard to comprehend that someone would do that. Exactly. But it's a reality. And I I think the best thing that people could do is read on. There's a lot of information online about elder abuse. I mean, anybody can look online and get really credible, good information. And the other thing that they can do always, always is reach out to people, you know, get to know the elderly neighbor, get to know, spend a few, if you're a clerk, spend a few minutes with the older person in line if they want to talk, because it, it'll seep out and they'll, if you know what to look for, you'll, you'll see it. Yeah. Thank you so much for what you do and for being on with us today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. All your information here in the description of the podcast. Please feel free to use that. Reach out. We hope you will join us for the next edition of Pathways to Hope and Healing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pathways to Hope and Healing. Again, if you or someone you know have experienced domestic abuse, sexual assault, child abuse, and elder abuse, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799 7233 or the Nampa Family Justice Center at 208-475-5700. Search the Nampa Family Justice Center on Facebook and Instagram for more conversations. If you have suggestions for topics you would like us to cover or get more information about anything you heard in today's episode, contact us through the email at fjc at cityofnampa.us.